Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. The big day has finally arrived. After four and a half fantastic years, Star Wars Rebels is finally ending. Ion Cannon had the honor of attending a screening of the series finale with the cast and crew, as well as a number of fans. Our review of the finale, along with our impressions of the screening itself, will be out on Tuesday night. In the meantime, we had an opportunity to catch up with Dave Filoni and chat with him about the world between worlds. Is it really time travel? Cannon and Hera's relationship? His thoughts looking back on the series? And more. With us were a number of fellow podcasters, including Aaron Goins, Brian Young, Jonah Marie Macias, Sandra Shute, Teresa Delgado, and Trisha Barr. Don't worry, there are no spoilers for the series finale. Enjoy the interview. You guys flew something from far. I know you came from far. Yes, New York City. Anybody else from? Who's in New York? New York. New York. Seattle via New York. Well, thank you so much. The weather was rough. Florida. Philadelphia, wow. DC. Apparently there was a blizzard like DC? right out. Yeah, it's tough back there so. now. Yeah. So. It's a windstorm. It's it's for you should <laughs> hang out here a little bit <laughs> before you go back. The sun will come out. <laughs> Give it a day. It's LA. I don't know the sun will come out. It doesn't look like it. You came all the way here. It's not even sunny. <laughs> I thought I was walking around. I'm like, there's no sun. <laughs> Seriously, this is an anomaly. It's you know, it's, it's the the sky is even sad that Rebels is ending. <laughs> I agree. In, some, in many cultures, that's what the rain represents. Right? Sadness. That's what my mom used to tell me. That's so speaking right. That's of right. sadness, go then. ahead. Tell <laughs> what do you want to know? Fire away. Anything you want. We'll answer everything but the ending right now. Everything but the ending. Mm-hmm. Darn, that was my question. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'll, I'll start. Here's my question. So, while in the portal. Oh boy. <laughs> um, Ezra faced several challenges and heard voices from the past, present, Mm -hmm. and the future. An obvious connection to the Clone Wars Mortis trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the quotes you um, you used really stood out to me. Mm, uh Uh-oh. Death is a natural part of life. Uh Rejoice for those around you who transform into the Force. Mourn them, do not. Miss them, do not. Attach release to jealousy, Mm -hmm. the shadow of greed, that is. Mm -hmm. That was obviously a quote from Yoda to Anakin. That's right. From Revenge of the Sith. So why did you use that particular quote, and why is it important in Ezra's story? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, everything you need to know about the Force, George put in his movies. Everything. And, you know, I do my best to stick to everything that he set up. I, of course, put my own spin on it. And I don't think by any stretch of the imagination George would have these wolves running around. But he knows that's very me. Um, I have no idea what, what he would think of it. But when I get to the core lessons about the Force, I try very you know, hard to stick to what is known about it. And I think what Yoda is saying there is fundamental to understanding you know, how attachments can lead you to ruin. And it's not to say that you can't love people and that you can't believe in people. It's just to say that you can't you know, wish and care and love so strongly that you then 
try to use your own power to control them and control their fate and take away their agency, which is what Anakin does, unfortunately, uh, you know, and leads to his ruin. And so the opening and the quotes that are in the void are all, you know, bits and pieces that construct the overall ideology, what's going on in that space. You know, to me, this space really has nothing to do with time travel at all. It's, it's more about echoes of experience and knowledge and learning because the wolf doom tells you what's in there. Well, knowledge is in there and destruction. Knowledge that can make you grow or knowledge that can destroy you. And so that's really what's at stake. That's the most valuable thing because a Jedi can look into the force and they can see impressions of the future. Or they can see experiences of the past. And I just tried to come up with a way that made it visual and I wanted to connect everything in this one space and I like spaces like that in stories that I read so you know I, <laughs> I put it in there and it's amazing to see how it then kind of uh, uh, reappears in, in, the, in the world around me as people experience it and they came up with some people some very different ideas when you know people in the crew were telling me oh people thought this people thought that and I'm like wow that's not what I meant. And then I worry that uh, I guess I wasn't clear. But, you know, I think that part of what I love about fandom is their overall creativity as individuals. And, you know, the art that my team and I make inspires them. And so I find that really interesting. And who knows when they, when they get a job making Star Wars, as I'm sure some will, they'll do even weirder things. So go for it. It's a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> so for Kanan, we, we just saw his tragic death, which was very sad. But I know you had said before that Kanan and Ezra didn't necessarily have to die. Mm -hmm. um, did you have alternate story ideas where Kanan did live? And like maybe what direction was that going? Not particularly. And since he did die, I probably wouldn't talk about it. You know, I think that Freddie was always adamant that he had to die, and I, I felt that that was true as well, but I, I don't like the mandate that like they should have to die because of a line in a movie that would say, there, you're when I'm gone, am I the last of the Jedi, will you be? We don't really know the context of what he's saying to Luke and how he's saying that, and only a Sith deals in absolutes, so I don't think that that's absolutely the way that has to go. I think there are many ways to look at it, and when you're creating your story, you have to do the story that's right for you. Um, because that, that's just too easy and out. And it didn't, that line didn't motivate anything that I was doing. You know, I make sure that continuity is maintained, but uh, I tell the story the way the characters kind of evolve and how they need to be shaped. So we'll see what that means as you, when you watch the ending and you call me out or whatnot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You know, alternate endings and things like that. Um, if I was to start running around saying that, then it'd be like, it would seem like I didn't go with what we all thought was the best idea. So I, have a, I had a lot of ideas about how Ahsoka confronted Vader and a lot of ideas about how that came about. And But it happened the way it was. What's most strange is when you actually have to sit down and do it. And then the way that she confronted him is the way it is. And so when I was writing that and shooting that, that was a bit surreal because then I'm like, okay, that's the way it is. And when you get down to like how Kanan goes out, Freddie and I have talked about that, but to actually do it and to stage it and to put him up there and to draw it 
I'm sitting in my office alone, drawing this thing, and I'm like, gosh, this is really, I told you, I called him. I'm like, Freddie, what are we doing here? Like, are we sure this is right? Like, I, because re I really like Kanan. He's, and the reason I like Kanan is Freddie. The way he portrays him through his voice is just, it doesn't work without him. You know, saying he's a cowboy Jedi, you go, well, that sounds kind of annoying. But then you got Freddie, and Freddie just brings it all together. He understood it in Star Wars and what we were trying to do when he walked in the door. And we were very fortunate to have him. So for Kanan and Hera, it took until the end oh boy. for <laughs> us to like finally see something. And in A New Dawn, you know, when they first meet, did you have anything to do with shaping when they first meet to where they get to in the end and were they always supposed to be Canera? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, when they do a, a book like that that's based on characters that we're working with, you have to do a download on where you think the characters came from, what they do. On the Ahsoka book, I gave extensive notes and wrote an outline for it and what I thought happened. Um, because you want to put the writer in the best possible situation to succeed. And if you're saying we can do a book, then you have to take on helping them. You can't leave them out there on their own and then later say, well, that's not how I would have done it. That would be wrong. So you have to help them. And then you get to see what ideas they have off of the ideas that you, know, you outline or that you help out with. And then you go, wow, these are great ideas. You know? and so you want a collaborative atmosphere like that. And you want to be able to invite other points of view into the story that you know, they're not infringing on what I'm doing. So it's like, then you can go for it. So I always felt that Kanan and Hera had a full-on relationship at a certain point, and then it tails off. And then Freddy's leaning in, or Kanan in your world is leaning in. And, <laughs> you know, Hera is just more driven because the war is really heating up and she's got other responsibilities. And for her, I think it's, it's as much about not wanting to admit this caring on that level because she feels it compromises her ability to lead. Um, it's, a, it's a real challenge, you know, and um, because you, I have to, to be perfectly honest with you, you're constantly fighting things that you have grown up watching, trying to make these stories. And you come up with story points and you don't even realize how you're following everything that's come before. And that's why you have to lean on the group and the different points of view that you have in the room and you know, having Carrie Hart in the room and Carrie Beck in the room and talking, you know, even though I wouldn't tell my wife Anne story points, I ask for her point of view on stuff all the time. And that's how I try to make up this deficit gap for me, you know, as a guy writing these female characters. You have to lean on other people's points of view and opinions about it. And it, it it's still very hard, you know, and um, I think, I think we got more of it, I don't want to say right, I don't know what right is, it's just how the character turned out, you know, but Vanessa too, I mean, when Vanessa and I approached the scene where she's under the influence of this, um, you know, drug by the Empire, we were both like, okay, you cannot be tipsy, ditzy, silly, it's going to be funny, but she has to be just forthright, like, like her and her truth serum, Hera just gets more like, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think, you guys are in real trouble, and Vanessa and I were like, hey, let's play it that way. But then she's the one that makes that work. And then it's critical that she says before the big thing that, like, no, this is me, all me. Because Kanan assumes, oh, the only reason you're going to tell me this is because you're, 
And then for him, it's not going to mean anything. You know, if, if she says something there on her tombstone, that's, you know, so what? But for her, it's like really owning that moment. Now, I do feel terrible that moments later that that, that, that thing <laughs> happens, but, you know, and so we can debate that, and I don't know. It just it seems really dramatic, though, you know, like, and kind of awesome and compelling. And I don't know. I mean, it's, I, but if you had a couple episodes where they're what, like, awesome relationshiping now, I don't know. Isn't it's so fleeting, but the moment is so true yeah. to me, makes it better, and then. To see them all deal with it after the fact and how they express their grief and frustration and sorrow and anger over it, you know, and finding a way for Hera to not seem weak but just seem true about what happened and voice maybe some ways that she wished she'd made different decisions about getting him involved in this war, about not being equal together about the war uh, and his his kind of fear of fighting it after having been a young kid in a war already. But see, in her opinion, she was a young kid in a war and her you know, father and mother were in a war all the time, fighting, 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 fighting. It's all she's known. So she has to come to this realization in the end that uh, she can move past all that and be this great leader that she ultimately is. Except I can hear her voice echoing in my head all the time. Saying what? Canaan. I know it was so, but the way <laughs> Vanessa does it, but that's Vanessa's fault, it's not yeah. mine. <laughs> Vanessa yells it, and you're just so into it. Yeah. Because yeah. I put it again in that second, that later episode yeah. where she, yeah. and it's not where it actually took place, but it really worked there. And I was like, well, I'm going to put it in again. Because <laughs> when Vanessa, she can say that one word, and it encapsulates how you feel about it, mm, you know, powerful. so. All we needed. So, uh, Jonas, one last lesson that Ezra <laughs> learned yeah. in, was kind of the macro of this ending. Mm -hmm. So, what's your one last lesson you've learned doing this conclusion of the show? Because you didn't get to do that last time with the Clone Wars. Oh, it's really good to get to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it feels good. I mean, it's sad to end something, but you have to. It's, I think it's like following through for the audience that's been with you you know they want an outcome i don't like reaching the last book in a series i start to slow down as i read it you know but you read it and you get it and then you can go back and read it again and then the second time you get more out of it because now you've already understood certain things and you see certain things so you know there there are a lot of things that i would do differently but that's part of learning when i was a kid learning to paint my mom and dad were both artistic and, uh, you know, he would always tell me, my mom would always tell me that by the end of the painting, you'd be a better artist. So, of course, you would do it differently. But then just instead do another painting. And I think there were some things on Clone Wars we did well. But I think we've done a lot of things, to be perfectly honest, better in Rebels. I think that Clone Wars has scope and scale on a level that we don't get to do in Rebels. But when I look back um, about how we wrote some of the characters and about some of the way, like, characters were portrayed, female characters and whatnot, I think we've done it significantly better in, in Rebels, significantly better. And that's, you know, part of the learning experience and part of the growth, and uh, I'm very pleased with that. And I think we can still do better in, in, in many ways uh, in our storytelling, and that's the challenge. That's, that's my lesson, is that you're always learning, you know, and you're never done uh, learning about how we can portray, you know, 
diversity better in front of the camera, behind the camera, everywhere. And that's, you know, is it a challenge or it's just what we should be doing? It's what we should be doing. So that's kind of a lot. Besides the, the story, I'm, I'm aimed at a lot of areas that, to be quite frank, when I was younger, I didn't think about because it wasn't the norm. You know, I was privileged not to have to think about these things. And now I do. And that's, uh, that's probably one of the bigger aspects of my work now, I feel, and trying to understand all of it. But I have Anne for that. Anne is my, my wife is my, my compass on all those things. And uh, she is a fantastic storyteller. One day, what she will do will, uh, will happen. And then I just get to be a passenger. And I look forward to that like you can't imagine because I, I, I admire her greatly as a storyteller. As you reflect back on the series, what do you think surprised you the most? Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't get surprised very much. Um, I don't know. I was surprised that in some ways uh, Thrawn came into the story. (laughs) It's things you want, but then, then they happen. You're kind of surprised. Um, I was surprised that, uh, see, I can't say I was surprised that Soak and Rex made it into the story because I know people like those characters. I know what was at stake there, and I always thought putting them in was a good idea. Right. You know, um, sometimes I'm surprised at the episodes people like versus the ones I like. Yeah. I'm like, really? We like that episode? Because the crew will tell me, and I'm like, wow, I must be completely off here. You know? Um, an example of one of those episodes that you were surprised. No, about. I don't no, want to bring it up. I don't want to bring it up. You know, but That's fair. let's just you know we all have different things we like yeah. and like I like one twelve and one thirteen, and not just because the the wolves are all in them, but it's just the type of story that I like, and I like that Ezra and Sabine are both very active in it. That he's getting to do the things that he needs to experience, and that her you know, wits are really put to the test against somebody that we've never experienced before and this kind of intellectual, malevolent character. But she's toe-to-toe with, with him. And there was a, a lot more to that. There was a lot more dialogue between the two of them. Um, it went on quite a bit, and I had to cut it down. But I found that really compelling to see that, yeah, it's not just she does art. She knows a lot about it. Um, that's the big difference for her with everybody else that has kind of come around and said they like art in the show, even Thrawn. Thrawn likes art, he collects art, he has a lot about, of it. He understands how it's executed, how it's made, who made it, what the people are like, what the culture's like, but he doesn't get what emotionally created it or why people were invested to do it or what they had to sacrifice. He has this kind of, you know, gap. Yeah. And for Sabine, like her art, it's all about what's driving her. And sometimes she's a little more cartoonish and sometimes a little more real or symbolic. And, uh, you know, so it was a great situation to put her in. And that makes her, she's not just the person that got captured in the episode. She's actively working the whole time to figure out how this is all going to get resolved and change at the end. Yeah. So that, I like those kind of episodes, um, you know, but there have been episodes that I think are more challenging to do. I'm not going to say which ones. But uh, I think season four, I've been really happy with front to back. I mean, and I think because the story has gotten very serialized, that the audience has been really revved up because they know they're getting stuff each week. 
you know, and they just don't know what, like, came. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'll go last if there's time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, the Osaka Tops cards. Um, oh, yeah, those things. Released 2016. <laughs> yes. The answer was right in front of us the whole time. Was it? Time. <laughs> is that the answer? How is well, that the answer? Well, when I put them in order, yes. I thought that the portal with Ahsoka came after I she know. walked up the stairs. I know. But after watching these episodes, hmm. I thought it would go before she enters the temple. So is there a correct order? Or, you that's know, such a, is there a reason? That seems like such an obsessive thing, though. Correct order. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, how do you read Narnia? Do you start with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Or, you know, the correct order? Star Wars fans are obsessed with the correct order. This episode's one through eight now. And what's the correct order? Well, I would start with one. I don't know about the rest of you. Well, but. does that have anything to do with why Soka went with, uh, with went in her portal now with Ezra? And you can tell me the truth. No. I, I won't tell anyone. No, it, well, <laughs> no. Because the reason why she doesn't go is that she's savvy enough to know that you can't. You can't just leap out of your time. And unfortunately, in the middle of this running, I had different bits of exposition. But it's like, Ezra, I can't go with you. Because if I do, this is really bad. It's like, no, we need to just get away from the fire. And so sometimes you write this stuff, and then you, you stage it, and you're watching her running. And you're like, no, when I'm running from fire, I'm just like, I can't go. I'll see you when I get back. And you have to distill it down to, OK, that's very real. Because if she stops to have exposition, she could burn up in a blue ball of flame. So he, he, he doesn't ex get the explanation. But, but I tried to portray her. And when I talked to Ash, she's like, she doesn't know what this place is, but she has kind of instincts about it because she's older and has experienced more. And she's been on the weird side of things before, especially. Right? So this is probably like, she's like, oh, this is like that weird place I was where they were like putting Anakin in the star machine to see if it's a chosen one. I've been down this road. <laughs> and she knows that you can't break those type of continuities, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. And so she's pretty much figured out that the, I got to go back where I came from. You got to go back where you came from. Mm -hmm. You know, because you can't leap that to service yourself. What is your, if she leaps in there to service the rebellion where Ezra's at now, yeah, I, I get that that might be a good idea as a good person, but it's also cheating because she doesn't know what she's skipping and who then she's not going to help or what she has to do independently of all of that. So the only things that were constant were that she went down that staircase. And the tops cards were like just me trying to explore visually, okay, what are, where, where are we going with that? And I tried to do it all in a very symbolically suggestive way. And there are a lot of elements in those images that are trying to be evocative of a transformative nature <coughs> and a journey, which is kind of a symbolic journey, <coughs> excuse me, of a transition from uh, death back to life. Going through an underworld is a theme in a lot of mythology. Having a great wound coming to an understanding that challenges you and your makeup and having to walk you know, through the world of the dead into the world of the living. Uh, so th that is, I'm sorry, it's a very hard journey to then make real because it's a journey that you need to think about more than actually experience. 
And so that's why we haven't really experienced it. My favorite part about it was just leaving her where we last saw her so you know she's in the door and you really don't know anything more, but you know a little bit more. And that really appealed to me. I pitched that whole story. That story, if you can believe it, was one episode when I pitched it. It was supposed to all fit in 21 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And I started writing it and I told Carrie back, I said, Carrie, I can't. I haven't even opened up the door. We're we're like 20-some pages in. And Henry Gura was like, well, I think we can make it another episode. We we took the whole thing and pushed the last. We killed a lot of ideas. But it was just too important to get that right, and it became two episodes. And, you know, it was a lot of different. I worked on how to open that door. I can't tell you how complex. You have to make it make sense, and it's clear but not overburden the audience with all kinds of on these hands. I'm playing that constantly when I'm trying to open that door. And, uh, but it was a lot, a lot of fun to do. So we'll see. There were, there was, it's sad. There's a lot more that got cut little bits here and there that clarify things, but you have to make choices on when you're clarifying, is that really slowing us down? And now it's, you don't get that much clarity in life, and so I try to leave it right on the edge, and I think it still works. But the, the, the cards are just images that, you know, we'll see. You put them in whatever. You post them, and I'll tell you if they're right order. It's like a game. <laughs> you know, it's like a, you, price is right. you got to put those cards in an order. and I'll figure it out. <laughs> but it's just about working out images, and then the images can become a story, and sometimes... The beginning is the end, and the end is the beginning. But an end is always a beginning, because something ends and something else begins. It's never just an ending. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to make it worth your while, because you flew here. So. <laughs> Thank you. As I get older, I'm just going to grow a beard out, and start wearing a pointed hat, and really just wizard out on everyone. Right, Tracy? That's right. Yeah, that's like, why not? You, know? you got to get weirder as you get older. I'm on track. <laughs> so, Dave, I'd, I'd love to know, just to kind of carry on with some of the decisions. There, there's the story decisions, but then there's also mm-hmm. the decisions that have reverberations with canon itself, such as the <laughs> portal, such as those things. Mm. So, I guess part A is, what's the process like deciding on, my goodness, this is going to absolutely melt Twitter down? <laughs> and, and also, how far in advance do you know that you're going to do something like that? I didn't. Even, I never considered that it would melt <laughs> because it made so much sense to me. I was like, this is very simply a space between worlds that you could go to and hear voices that you have no clue what they are and have a learning experience. You know, it's, but I think you know people take things so far and. Mm. They start to think, oh, this is like a TARDIS or something, and it's not at all. <laughs> but I don't want to, you know, I, I don't think that there's like this time travel where you go through those doorways into other worlds and say, hey, what's up, Luke? And <laughs> I just don't think that exists. And I, I don't think we should start going there. It's more about the emotional experience mm-hmm. and what that kid experienced mm-hmm. and what he needed to see and what he had yet to learn. And so he got to a place. Because here's the thing. It was an interesting thing in developing it. When we talk about the Jedi Temple for a long time and what's important, I'll just, this will be full disclosure so you can see the real process here. We had set up that thing at the beginning of season two where Minister Two was like the real reason they're on Lothal. And, you know, oh, that sounds delicious and amazing. 
And everyone, the writers, was like, and what, and yeah, and what is that? And we're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know. <laughs> because nothing we were coming up with was, I thought, interesting. Yeah. You know? You start to think, oh, is this a weapon? Is this some kind of device? Was it a Jedi starfighter that had a lot of information in it? Practical, 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 information, information, information. Boring. You know, is it a thing? Why is it a thing? Why is it an object? That's not important. Mm. Those are just things. Mm -hmm. And so one day I just realized that, you know, knowledge is really valuable. And that's what we're talking about, knowledge. And that our assumption would be that it would be some type of weapon or a lightsaber, a strange thing. And it's not that at all. Because when you really go after this type of thing, it's never what you expect it to be. The mm -hmm. artifact, the MacGuffin, is always something more elusive and intangible. And so it was really just knowledge and the ability to hear and experience things from across your life or across the stars. That's just as a, he wouldn't recognize Ray's voice at all. You know, mm -hmm. to him, it's just like music. He doesn't mm -hmm. understand it. Mm -hmm. He recognized Obi-Wan and Yoda. He's heard them talk before. Sure. But but not much. And so he's just having this experience. And then probably what's dwelling on his mind is like, this is kind of like that weird temple where I was with Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. Well, Ahsoka comes to mind, that bird's there, and then Shimor comes to mind. And then this is motivating this portal. And now you're seeing into this memory that, that mm -hmm. you had. And, but he experienced that, just like he experienced Canaan dying. Right. So these right. things he sees with a lot right. more clarity in that world. D d d I don't really think about how it's going to affect the canon as a whole, you know, to be quite honest. I don't, because I liked it, and I was like, well, that seems cool, and right. I pitched the whole thing, and you, I was like Indy at a chalkboard. I was drawing the temple and how they'd excavated it down, and the thing would be, the, and this whole diagram, the whole diagram, the whole outline for the two episodes is written on either side of a drawing of the Jedi Temple I did. Hmm. It's in the middle of a big whiteboard. Hmm. And it's all, and it's there. If you saw the whiteboard, there'd be differences in the story, but it's fundamentally pretty much what I pitched on that day. Yeah. And then I had to go and write, write it because he's done the painting. I was like, and the painting comes alive and it wipes the tower. And you know, everyone's excited, but the producer who's watching the money fly out <laughs> the window. And I do have to mention that that episode, you know, I, I went outside the studio and got. Uh, Brad Rao, who'd been an episodic director for me, has a studio called Ghost Spot Animation. They did Forces of Destiny, and um, you know, working with them really set up this idea. I wanted Lucasfilm to have a relationship with them because I knew they were talented artists, great studio, and uh, they executed the, the 2D animation of the moving paintings. And I just thought they did brilliantly. It's yeah. a the painting itself is a mural that I sketched on a piece of paper and gave to Killian Plunkett. Killian makes it like this amazing thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> and, and then uh, they brought that to life. And so, yeah, but in the bigger structure of it, I mean, Kiri's there, Kiri Hart's mm -hmm. in the room, Carrie Beck is there, you know, and, and if it was something that really worried them, uh, you know, I'm sure they would tell me, but they know I'd been there a long time and they're really good at like, I wouldn't propose stuff that I thought was going to break yeah. continuity. I yeah. don't, yeah. you know, when I talk to Dennis Buren and Bill George or any of the guys that were around in the beginning, even George, you know, it's like they were constantly trying to push mm. the envelope. They weren't just being nostalgic. Right. They didn't know what being nostalgic for Star Wars was when they made the old right. movies. Right. 
They were just saying, what's great? I don't know, being on a snow planet with giant walkers. Like, that's right. great. That's new. I've never seen that before. And right. so Star Wars is in this interesting place now where there's, you know, what is it, 40 years of nostalgia now. Mm -hmm. And we have to be careful that we don't, you know, out of our love for it, stop its momentum and its evolution and what it what it needs to become. And I think it's interesting because, you know, when Star Wars came out in 1977, there weren't old fans. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah, there were parents that went and said, my God, I'm so glad I enjoy this too. You know, <laughs> but it, now it's a completely different thing. But when voices, you know, cry out through the forest, why is this happening in Star Wars? I, I Sometimes I think, you know what? In several years, you'll see why. Hmm because it fits better, because hmm. your experience is different. And you don't always immediately like everything. Right. And I'm sure you've all had an experience where you go see a movie, you watch it in theater, and you're like, what was that? And then you're sitting at home on the weekend, and you, you sit on the couch, and you watch the movie again because it was on, and you're like, wow, that was really good. <laughs> I have that experience quite a bit. And I, you know, I think Star Wars is the same. I mean, what I'm very proud of is the quality of the storytellers that we have. And, you know, the group effort, especially on Rebels, that we have to tell these stories. And, and I think we've done all right by, by canon. I joke all the time, fire the canon, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's real now. So. <laughs> I mean, it's like, the, it's like anything, you know, it's a tempting right. power to right. want to right. abuse right. just right. to put something weird in there. Right. To right. mess with people, but yes. that's why I do those drawings and tweet them. <laughs> yeah, he's a terrorist. <laughs> oh, stop it. We'd like to thank Dave Filoni for taking the time to chat with us. It's always a pleasure talking with him. And don't miss the series finale of Star Wars Rebels tonight on Disney XD. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncanoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncanoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.